Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Dom Harvey Podcast, powered by Generate and Radix. Real quick favour, if you don't do so already, please subscribe to the podcast, rate it, or give it a review if you like it. That's it. Helps the podcast grow, and it means you'll never miss an episode, like this one, with Mark Richardson. Boom, you're out on your ass. Mm. I, th- I, th- I, I, d- I did have contact with uh, Mike King from I Am Hope, just a couple of texts, and he was fantastic. He is so good at checking in on people, eh? Yeah, and and it was just nice to know that there's someone there who lives in that space who cares about other people and, you know, what they might be going through. Mm. And it was just nice to connect with someone. I wouldn't say that I descended into any level of depression. It was just tough. I just felt like what had happened, it just felt a little unfair at the time and so Mm. very sudden and so very quick. Richardson, the tools down guy from the block. So much coming up in this hour. We discuss his brand new career transition to a financial advisor at Forsyth Bar, becoming unemployed when Today FM shut down and the toll that took on his mental health, reflections on his time as one of the world's best cricketers, including his complex relationship with the late Shane Warne, becoming public enemy number one for a week after he asked the Prime Minister a controversial question on TV, accidentally outing Ryan Bridge on the AM show, and so much more. I've known Mark in passing for over a decade now, I guess, and I've always liked the guy, but it was really cool to sit down for a chat of this depth and duration. Sadly, it is much shorter than I would have liked, and that's my fault. I cocked up the scheduling on my end, which was humiliating. Then Mark had to leave to meet with a client at Forsyth Bar. Still, I think there's something in here for everyone, especially fans of cricket or fans of the man known as Rigger, and we get into that nickname in this chat as well. Just before we um, uh, pad up and get into the crease, I think that's what you say in cricket, thanks to my sponsors at Generate and Radix. Generate is my personal KiwiSaver scheme, and I'd love it if you would consider making them yours too. I'm embarrassed to say I was in cruise control when it came to my retirement. I had some money going in each fortnight, but I had no idea what fund it was in or what the return was, really. I recently moved over to Generate KiwiSaver scheme after meeting up with one of their awesome advisors. That was cool. I asked heaps of dumb questions, but she certainly put me at ease and assured me they were not dumb questions, even though I'm sure they were dumb questions. The meeting was really helpful. I learned stuff about KiwiSaver that I'd never really considered before. And the bottom line is this. If I'd done it sooner, my KiwiSaver savings would be worth more than what they are now, more than likely. If you want to make sure you're making the most of your KiwiSaver account, chat to an advisor now. Head to generatewealth.co.nz. A copy of their product disclosure statement can be found there too. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited. And of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. This episode is also sponsored by Radix, the official nutrition sponsors of Simone Mayer, who just won her fifth coast-to-coast title. High-performance athletes like Simone, they've been fans of Radix for years. Now regular folks like you and I can improve our own lives by using Radix products. The protein powder is incredible, and the freeze-dried, just-add-water meals are impossibly good. 
you honestly do have to try them for yourself. Check them out. Radix is spelled R-A-D-I-X. Their website, radixnutrition.co.nz. So thanks again, Radix and Generate. Okay, let's get into it. Mark Rigger Richardson on the Dom Harvey podcast. Well, I've heard about this podcast you know, many, many times. and You've had some great guests and it's one of the more well-known ones, I guess, around in New Zealand. Well, I, I appreciate that. And um, I'm, I'm not just saying this. Uh, you, for me, are a dream guest. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've worked together over the years. I, I wouldn't describe us as, as friends, but our, our, we worked in the same building. And I always um, enjoyed our little, if, if we were making coffees at the same time, we'd always have a little chat about running. And I always enjoyed our little conversations. Well, it's similar interests. I yeah, think. That's, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Clint Randall, who was my co-host, he, he came back to the studio one morning. He said, oh, I was just uh, in the bathroom the same time as the tools down guy from the block. And <laughs> fuck, he's, he's nothing like that in real life. <laughs> so I think people are surprised when they meet you because you're quite gregarious on TV and in real life, you're quite sort of, I don't know, introverted, I guess. I, I think a lot of people are like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, you're a magnification yourself. I think you have to be in broadcasting or you come across as a little flat. Mm. Um, and then you can you can put on top of that the, the persona I created or the brand that I tried to create via Crowd Goes Wild and then, and then at, at the AIM show, people, you know, thought I must have been a complete ass. <laughs> And I hope, I hope when they got to know me, you know, they realised that's that's not the case. It, a lot of it is performance, as you know. You well, know, it, it has to be. It has to be like an extension of yourself, or like a character to a degree, because otherwise, it's just fucking boring. Yeah, my when I did the crowd goes wild, I tried to work on the brand that I'm going to be everything that I would love to be, but could never be, and that's what I worked on. Mm. So, who who is the real Mark Richardson then? I, you know, I, I, I always I found you quite um, charming and friendly. I th- I think a, a homebod, for a start. Um, pretty conservative, very conservative. Um, competitive and driven and wanting to succeed, but um, without a doubt, probably quite quite shy in a social setting. You know, I get very nervous um, going into a room full of people I don't know, and I think for a long time there, that shyness, you know, often got mis misstrued as as um as arrogance maybe you know but mm. I, yeah that's something that i've always hoped i have not been and never really taken anything that's happened that's been positive for granted no i've, I've never i've never thought you were arrogant um uh, a fun a fun person a guy that doesn't take himself too seriously a guy that can take the piss but also a guy that can be incredibly serious when he needs to be yeah, I hope just being able, you know, being able to read the situation and deliver what's needed to be delivered. Mm. Um, but you're laughing. I think the, the New Zealand psyche likes people who can laugh at themselves. Mm. But in terms of that on-ear persona, it was, yeah, it was always a, a, a big magnification of myself. And when mm. the red light on the camera wasn't on, uh, or the microphone, you know, I, I tended to tend to be quite reserved. Mm. Yeah, you and I, we've got um, quite a few things in common. So we're, we're both introverts, um, both sort of loners. Mm. I, I love being on my own. Uh, homebodies as well. And, and hates, hates crowds. Yeah. Oh. I, I saw some Instagram stories last week. So the, um, the last um, media company you and I both worked for was MediaWorks. And it was the MediaWorks Christmas party. And I saw a few stories there. And I was thinking, oh, I've got a bit of FOMO. But the reality is, if I was still working there, I wouldn't have even gone. <laughs> no, I, I think I went to my first Christmas party that I've been to for a long time um, when I went to the Forsyth Bar one. Uh, you, you know, I, I tended to avoid those sort of social <laughs> settings 
you know, you'd stand around sort of trying to make small talk with people. It just, it doesn't, it really doesn't come naturally. Yeah. 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 When, I'm, when I'm at those things, all I'm thinking about is how quickly I can leave without. Yeah, how long do me. I have to stay here <laughs> and, and not, and for it not to be noticed when I, yeah. when I leave. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your, that's your role now. You, you're now a financial advisor at Forsyth Bar. Yeah. So big change, big change. So yeah, uh, an investment advisor there. Uh, so I guess share broker and old money, but that's not really how it's done nowadays. Um, always had an interest in finance and got an opportunity to do it. And obviously going through, um, still going through the accreditation process, but I, I am a, a registered financial advisor, so I can give sort of financial advice. Um, but when it comes to maybe, you know, the wider sense, um, you know, you're under supervision there for quite some time because they can't just let you loose to make, to make all sorts of mistakes, you know, because you're representing the co- mm. the, uh, the company. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, if I do anything, it's under the very, very watchful gaze of some pretty, pretty clued up people there. Mm. This is a really interesting third act. So you, I, I'd say it's like a third act. So there's the cricket career, wildly successful, media yeah. career, wildly successful, and um, hopefully the same now. But it's a, um, it seems like an unusual, like drastic pivot from what you were doing. Well, let's say you have three careers. In life, so I'm, I'm on to the third and final one, and I need to make it work. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. You, well, you, I mean, your track record would it's, suggest it will work. It's interesting. You say, you know, successful broadcasting career. I, I like, don't feel like it was that successful. Are you fucking kidding me? I, I guess, I, I guess, when you're in it, it's an industry whereby I don't think you realise what you have got. Yeah, you might be on prime time TV and radio or what have you. Um, you know, and two different things, but you, but it, you're always sort of going, well, why am I doing that? Why not on that show? Oh, you well, always want more. Well, yeah, you always want more. <laughs> I think it's just that insecurity of it all. Yeah, when I look back at my sport, there's some there's some things that I, I, I you know, w- were disappointed I didn't achieve. But when I do look back at my cricket career, I go, yeah, you, you succeeded. You overachieved. Uh, without a doubt, I feel I overachieved in in the sporting sense, um, but in the broadcasting, no, I just I feel I never really reached where I wanted to to get to, and and then realised that that wasn't going to happen. So, are you? I mean, you're still doing cricket stuff. This um, podcast today was set up by um, the wonderful Emily at TVNZ. So you're doing yep. uh, cricket commentary. Is that yep. the only media sort of stuff you're doing? You've completely turned your back on it now. Pretty, pretty much. I mean, a lot of that decision was made for me. I can't claim <laughs> that. Yeah, I said no, not interested because <laughs> the work dried up. So, um, but uh, yeah, I love the cricket commentary. That's my passion. Um, and you know, don't I would probably do it for free. If no one, no one can hear that. <laughs> I'm not I saying I want to, but that up. <laughs> I, I absolutely love it. And and I'm so lucky now that I can have this other opportunity and another career, which hopefully I can still be doing in 10 years' time and succeeding at. And, and you know, at least for the next three years, TVNZ have the rights and, and hopefully I'll be involved in that because mm. I, I just love, I love, I have a real passion for, for cricket commentary. Yeah. I really do. Well, this is a massive loss for New Zealand um, media, I think. Uh, I don't think they think that. <laughs> well, well, no, no, it, it just does. I'm guessing it's been a rough year for you. So you um, you were doing the AM show and then there were changes there. Then Today FM came along. That only lasted a year. Um, the, the project's gone as well. And the, What's happening with the block? Well, the is block it- is officially on hold um, because the market was down. 
they wanted they really didn't want to take the risk of having unsold properties long story short but when when the when the network also became the production company then having having unsold properties was not good it, mm. would, it was eating and it would eat into commercial revenue so um the model changed a little bit so they put it on hold and that's the last i've heard of it I haven't really even heard being told that was over a year ago and haven't had any correspondence since then uh, as to or an update on whether even considering it and i've i guess i've been forced to move on mm. well yeah i mean you, you can only tread water for so long can't you you really need to sort of like draw a line in the sand i guess and get on with your life well, I, I i i need a life yeah, I can't put it on hold in the hope that you know I, I can I can when the block comes back I can do it, um, but that phone call hasn't come yet. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if it will come back. A lot of there's a lot of water has flown under the bridge, but right now I've heard nothing and mm. and I've moved on with it with another chapter. You, you're you're such a positive guy, but there must have been um, times over the past year where I don't know you've been you're bitter, resentful, depressed, upset. Yeah, but everything. Um, it was tough because it did. It, you know, I just it, it just all dried up, and and it wasn't like I think I was doing a bad job. In fact, I thought the the shows I was involved in were, were doing well, and then boom, they just they weren't there. And you get thanks thanks for your time and mm. and good luck. And I don't I don't like not having my path mapped out in front of me i like to see it and all of a sudden it was you know there was what am i doing where am i going mm. and and i think the frustration was the fact that i felt that i was doing a good job that it's not like i was failing at at any of those gigs um and certain things commercial realities transpired i guess and boom you're out on your ass mm. um i th- i'll think i I, d- I did have contact with uh, mike king from i'm hope just a couple of things a couple of texts and he was fantastic he is so good at checking in on people, eh? Yeah, and and it was just nice to know that there's someone there who lives in that space who cares about other people and you know what they might be going through. Mm. And it was just nice to connect with someone. I wouldn't say that I descended into any level of depression, um, but it were it was it was just tough because I just felt like what had happened. While I understand it happens in the industry that we've been involved in, it just felt a little unfair at the time, and so mm. very sudden and so very quick. Um, it just took a bit to get my head around, but really, I I absolutely blessed and and lucky that um another opportunity um came around and an opportunity that I mean I I would love to be doing what I'm doing now, but I thought that boat had sailed at my age. I was never going to pick up another you know another proper career and like I'm in you know well and truly in, in finance now. I thought that boat had sailed, and and all of a sudden realized. It hadn't, and um, you know I'm trying to grab onto it with both hands. Mm. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, no doubt you'll be successful at it. Hopefully. It seems like um, you're doing a bit of research for this podcast. It's like you're... Your your superpower is hard work and working out what needs to be done and then and then just doing it and it seems like you did that very well with um cricket and then with broadcasting and I can't see how this is yeah. going to be any different. I reckon I'm working harder than I ever worked at university <laughs> in an academic nature right now. Yeah. I spent hours and hours studying um, companies, studying macroeconomics, um, you know, reading reports on this, doing it. There's a lot of compliance, a lot of testing, a lot of examining, a lot of accreditations to go through. Um, you can't, you can't get through the early stages of, of this career without actually accumulating quite a lot of, of knowledge. Um, the industry demands it of you now. Um, and, and it's, you know, I, I am. I'm having to really mm. – I go home exhausted. Well, you know, you go home from doing a radio show or a TV show type of the performance yeah, value of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go home exhausted. Um, like your brain just hurts. Because you've just been thinking so hard about stuff. So, and, and I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's cool because there, there is that saying that you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but you actually can. The old dog just needs to be prepared to learn the new tricks. Yeah, and the industry that I'm moving into, there's no harm in being having life experience because you're, you know, it is relationship-based. People are trusting you with, with their money, with their nest egg, and yes, they can trust it maybe to a, a 25-year-old hotshot, but I think if you can – you know, a lot of lot of clients are a little bit older, and if you can, if you can resonate with them and connect with them on a personal level, I think this it's easier to get that element of trust mm. that that you need. And I I have to go through a little bit of a rebranding thing because it's it's one thing everyone sort of goes, oh, you'll be really good at this, you'll be really good at this, um, because of the connection I have and what I've done in, in life, and that just puts that that pressure of expectation on my shoulders, you know, wanting to live up to those expectations. But I, I know damn well that, you know, when I've, that, that I'm, I'm taking this seriously and I'm not Mark Richardson, the broadcaster any longer, the bloke everyone knows. I need people to, to see me as, as Mark Richardson, the bloke who understands the share markets and the debt markets and macroeconomics. And you can trust me with mm. your coin because I'm not going to do something dumb with it. <laughs> yeah, well, if you've got a million dollars to invest, you don't necessarily want to give it to the guy that, that uh, said on live TV he took a dump off the back of a jet ski, do you? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for bringing that up. Yeah, there was a need at the time that had to be addressed. And, you know, I knew I knew that the laws, I knew I needed to be in a certain depth and a certain um, um a certain distance offshore. So there was a bit yeah. of <laughs> I was meticulous. Yeah. And, and thought that went into it to make sure that I didn't, um, I didn't break any compliance regulations. Yeah. Oh, good on you. I, um, we'll, we'll double back around. We'll go, we'll go back and uh, talk about cricket a little bit and then, um, maybe move forward with the uh, career stuff as well. Um, there won't be any, uh, deep or insightful cricket stuff here. Cause I know very little about it, yeah. um, but I've done some research. So your nicknames, um, there's rigor. Yeah. Short for rigor mortis. Yeah, why's that? Because I have the speed and agility of a dead person. Pretty much stiff, inagile, um, hopeless fielder. And it was Shane Bond in about 
mid-90s. So this is going back to when I was actually quite a young man as well. Uh, he nicknamed me Rigor Mortis because he just thought I just looked like an old stiff. In the you're, you're, you're very self-deprecating, though, like in, in your book as well, which I've got a copy of, Thinking Negatively. Um, like you, you downplay just how good you were and, and what, what you did. Don't you think? When I look back, I'm really proud of what I achieved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the fact that I took some of the world's best bowlers on and succeeded. Um, yeah, I was disappointed. But I let myself down in Australia, and and that that irks me. But yeah, like I'm pretty proud mm. when I look back at my cricket career and what I achieved. I'm I'm pretty damn proud. Mm. Um, so it's you, just not it's just not New Zealand it's just not accepted in New Zealand for me to go like I, I would say it on air oh it's brilliant <laughs> absolute legend one of possibly New Zealand's greatest ever opening batter but people know I'm saying that in yeah. a self-depreciating yeah, yeah. uh, you know what is it self-deprecating self-deprecating yeah, 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 yeah. self-depreciating self um, that's one of my and another one of your nicknames Donut uh, yeah Kenzie gave that to me um, so this is Chris Ken. So yeah, he was a teammate of yours, and yes. his, his dad Lance was one of your coaches. Yeah, yeah. So this was this was this. So that goes right back. That's a good one to find. Actually, where'd you find that nickname? In the forward of your book. Oh, okay. I think he gave that to me in the under 19s and I was always a little bit younger in those, some of those sides. Kenzie was a bit older, and I was a typical stupid kid, just dumb. <laughs> so donut was like there's there's nothing in the middle. Yeah, which is fair enough <laughs> in those days, you know. And and he, I noticed he calls you Richie. Yeah, that, that does was, anyone call you Richie? No, uh, you'd have to go back. People call me Richie. Goes right back to the early years, and then that morphed into well, then became Rigger. Um, and a lot of people on the street call me Rigger, and I I sort of like it. See it as a term of demon. I like mm. the fact that say just fans or punters um, feel they have the right to call me by my nickname, which mm. I find is um, it it's it's quite humbling that you know they they feel that they can do that. Yeah. You know, oh, it's a massive term of endearment. Yeah. Um. But I mean, the reality is, like, you you weren't that slow. Um. And then you you started running. Like, uh, you, you and I bonded over some running chats. You got, you got quite good with your marathons. Like, just you never broke three hours, no, but you're on the sort yeah. of cusp. I had the you know when you do yeah because I could do I had that a one two one for a half, which is quick one twenty one. Yeah, that's yeah, like you do a one, three minute fifty k pace. If you or do a, if you do a one twenty one, you should have the fitness to yeah. be able to run a sub. Yeah, you're talking probably a two fifty sort of there. Mm. But I would cramp would get me. I, I had some structural issues, I think, and um, and I, I would get to about the thirty eight k mark, and kaboom, I'd be running my four fifteen pace. Um, and, and the minute it started to feel tough, and you had to work, uh, I would just I would cramp, and mm. that that would be. And I just hobble back for I think about three oh five was about the best I did. Just watch those minutes slipping away. Yeah, but when it came to the sprinting, like and being slow. I, I always felt I could get over 100 okay, but the, but cricket is about running short distances and bending down and being able to move and pick up balls and swoop, and I couldn't do that. I literally had to run over to the ball and then get a step ladder to climb down to pick it up. <laughs> just, didn't, just didn't have that, that agility. You know? Oh, yeah. So you mentioned the cramp thing and um, the the um, perspective of marathon running before. Um, yeah, there's that famous clip online of, of you of you cramping. And I, when you're on Crad Goes Wild, it was played like every other night. Um, how's that? Is that hilarious or embarrassing? I, or? I still laugh at it. <laughs> yeah. it's just, I, I, just, I mean, it was so painful. Yeah. yeah I've had cramp before. It's, it's excruciating. It feels like you're being shot in that body part. Oh, good God. It was, it was horrendous. And I was so dehydrated. Because I had the, the old Dally Belly going into that test, so I was pretty dehydrated, and you know, no one notices the score tick about two hundred and thirty something for one. So I've been out there for quite some time, mm. 
and and it just yeah like my body was stuff going into it so it just it just shut down i could cramp playing that shot which is the only shot i could play to get runs <laughs> at that point i'm in the 90s i need to get to 100 and and i was cramping and when i'd stretch my calf out, I'd, came, I'd cramp in my quads. So it's literally lying there sort of in a neutral position, which doesn't really stop the pain. And I couldn't, I just, you know, stretch hammy out, quad would go. Start to sort of bend the quad, hammy would go again. It was just horrendous. And then not long after that, when I got into the marathons, I, I had the same, same sort of issues with the cramp. I'd go in my hammies. And I can remember coming up the finish shoot at Victoria Park here. And the ground announcer, the, the announcer is, you know, calling people in and go, oh, I can't Mark Richardson, sort of, you know, I remember him, don't cramp, rigger. And then boom, I got this <laughs> massive, massive out of cramp. I'd been dealing with it for the last couple of Ks. And he's going, oh, there he is there, hamming it up. And I was like, I'm not hamming it up. I'm actually, I'm actually cramping. I was like, he thought you were doing a Mark Richardson yeah. parody. I actually stumbled across the line and had to be carried. From the from the line to out the, out the end of the shoot by St John's ambulance. Oh, that's humiliating. There's a lot of people yeah. in that shoot at the finish line. And I just Probably a thousand. People, I, yeah, I just saw people were thinking, "Oh, what a dick! Look at him having up the the cramp thing." But it was it was absolutely legit. Oh, that's amazing. So so you you were um you, playing cricket. Uh, you were a bowler. Mm-hmm. Um, th- then what happened? Do you, you I know you're you're into your golf. Uh, do, are you familiar with the Ian Baker Finch story? Well, he, he sort of lost his golf, didn't he? Yeah, completely. So Australian guy, really, really good, and then just like lost lost his game yeah. completely, and then became a commentator. Was that the same with you in bowling? From well, what I've read, I was a good bowler. I was sort of New Zealand under nineteens, and then Auckland as a left arm spinner, and then Otago as a left arm spinner. But when I went to Otago, I'd start to lose it. How, what do you, What do you mean exactly? How do you explain that to a non cricketer? And and in your own mind, you I must have still been bowling okay. No, I'd bowl. I was awful. And it started out like I was a good youth bowler, but you you always got like a, you'd bowl a looseish ball every over, but it, at youth cricket, it didn't really hurt you. And then I started playing men's cricket and I started playing for Auckland. I was still very young. I was about 18. And that that loose ball, because good cricketers now, you, you're you bowling to good batters and they would, they'd be able to sit and defend on your good balls and then you'd bowl them a bad ball and they did it for four. And that was, that was too many runs in an over. And I started to fear bowling that bad ball. So, so you worry rather than rather than running and going, I'm going to bowl a good ball. I'm going to show you how good I am. I'm going to rip it. I'd be running and going, just get this on spot, just get this on spot. So now, now the, the the worry of bowling a bad ball is now the front of your mind, as opposed to it's not in your mind. And so, so very quickly that takes it from one bad ball to two bad balls to three bad balls to only an over mm. crap which is what i was bowling and that was that and, and i i could bowl in the nets with no fear of consequence i'd bowl quite nicely but get to a game nah just stiffen up was it, was it just an overthinking thing i think for me i think that's how my brain works yeah i think batting just worked better for me in that regard um the way yeah, that my mind worked the, this is the the interesting thing so you so you're a bowler you that all happens you lose your confidence but at that point you're you're like a number 10 batsman which means like you're you're the yeah, shittest bat, batter in the team yeah, one of the worst yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so then you go away and you sort of reinvent yourself as a as a batsman and you end up making the new zealand team at 29 kind of from from what i can gather it sounds like you sort of forced your way in so you weren't on anyone's radar, and but they just it got to the point where you were so good they couldn't ignore well, you. I could always bat a little, and but you know not great, a little bit scared of the ball, no real discipline. Really didn't have a batting mentality. When I when the 
it, it happened through club cricket. I could still bowl well at club cricket. I still could, you know, be in the team. And I started to work my way up in the, in the, um, in the club team batting. And then I ended up sort of batting at three for the club and scoring some runs and really enjoying it. And actually wasn't worried about playing for a target at this time, was just enjoying playing the sport that I supposedly was meant to love. And so spending a bit more time, getting a bit more interested in, in, um, in batting, got a few more runs, then got into the Otago second 11, but they picked me as a bowler. And I just remember being quite shitty about the whole thing. Like, <laughs> I'm not a bowler any longer. I, I, and, they, and I batted at eight or something like that. And we, we were playing against, um, uh, we were playing against uh, Canterbury B. And it's Canterbury A. I think in those days you were allowed to call it B. And and we were out of the game. And I managed, I batted eight. I managed to get through to about 50. and But we, we, we were dead. And we ended up needing 33 off the final over to win. And I hit five sixes out of three. <laughs> and won and won the game, and it no was, way, yeah, and it's like some Jimmy Neesham big bash stuff. So yeah. thirty three off the last over, so five, five sixes, sixes in a row, six. and then I so nicked, nicked the last one, which I should have for six as well. Nicked the last one down down to third man, and we ran three and won the game, and that got me noticed, and that actually got me <laughs> a, it got me a game in the in the Otago side. Yeah. Actually, they're saying you know perhaps perhaps Rigger can bat a bit here. But that's that's not what that's not the sort of batsman you were. Like no, you were no, a slow. No, you were called no, boring. No, I started out very a shot maker with Otago. So I, I worked my way into the Otago side, and in fact, the first hundred I ever got in any form of cricket was in a first class game of cricket, and I wasn't even meant to be yet in the team. We had an academic called James Allen, whose graduation was at the time that we were going to play uh, Central Districts, and. Um, and so he pulled out late doors because graduation was more important than playing crew for Otago. Mm. And um and so I got called into the side and went and got a hundred and it never batting at five and, and never never looked back. But I was a stroke player. I used to play a lot lot of lot of shots. And um and but I I realized I had to find a way to go from averaging thirty in both one day as and and four days to having a couple of seasons where I averaged in the sixties or seventies. Mm. And I started to realize I needed to actually shelve a bit of the the aggressive intent and, and bring it back and mm. and and that just went you know that that i just refined that skill and i just worked out that surviving was my best way of succeeding <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that 33 off one over just i'm sorry i just can't get past that i um i i looked at a lot of stuff on um youtube prior to you coming around today i it, does that does footage of that exist anywhere no, it was it was a Geraldine. <laughs> That's Geraldine's a main or wherever. Why is that why is there not, not not a better known Mark Richardson story? I, That's no, outstanding. I, I guess it was just playing for the Otago second eleven that doesn't really get any any sort of coverage. But that was that was the real turning point for me. Just an over of of just whacking it, turned my career around. Just one of those things. Maybe maybe I I would have continued to score runs and you know, I would have found myself there eventually. Mm. Um, but no, that, that freakish sort of act really sort of turned everything around mm. for me. Yeah. And, um, I've heard you say your Everest that like the highlight of your career is getting that century at Lords. Yeah. So, um, first innings, you got 93 and then the second innings, 
you got 101. How, 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 are you, how do you feel when you get out at 93? Because uh, I know I wasn't out too. I only nicked it onto my pad and it's really? out. Yeah, so, but almost made it almost easier. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, shit all over here. So you, um, you, I was just pleased I'd scored runs. You know, I'd gone there and I'd got 93 in the first innings in, at, at Lords, And I was like, well, I'd actually done something significant. And then all I thought in the second innings was, okay, just back it up with a reasonable total. So, because I used to hate getting a decent score and then – almost taking that for granted, looked bad if you went out and got a poor second innings score. So I just sort of gripped my teeth and thought, well, we'll just see how many I can get in the second innings. And then it just got closer and closer and closer to the point. It's like, shit, maybe I can get 100. <laughs> and, I, and I did, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So how, how do you get out on on 101? I, in, in your book, you talk about Stephen Fleming saying to you, um, don't, don't give up on yourself. Did you give up on yourself after getting 100? Yeah, I, I sort of did. And and it's cricket is a great great a great game because it'll always beat you up if you allow it to beat you up. And I can remember I so I got this hundred and it was the achievement of my life. And it was just before tea, and I went in at tea not out, and just all the adrenaline drained from me. And when I went out to bat after tea, I couldn't get myself up to start again. It was just such a a, a huge achievement for myself, you know, and and I needed to pick myself up because I only needed to bat for another a, a half an hour to an hour, and we probably would have batted us our way to safety in the game and been in totally dominant. I got out playing a very loose shot because I just wasn't there mentally, mm. and then the English bowling attack, which was a good attack actually, they just they rolled our our middle and tail from there, and we ended up losing the test, and and so I sort of go greatest moment in my life, but. Also, a moment in which I arguably let my team down and lost the game. Oh, as well. God, that's a terrible way of looking yeah. at it. Come on, but that's your 194 great. runs over two innings. You, that, but your it's your day, it's your yeah. game, and you've <laughs> got to make the most of it. And you, you know, this is what I love about Kane Williamson, and I really believe him. He's so frustrating to interview because he's just played one of the greatest hundreds you've ever seen in your life. And and you go and talk to him, and it's set a record here and there, and it's like, well, the situation of the game, and and you never talk about anyone. He'll never talk about himself. Mm. He always talks about the situation of the game. And and I think the actual number that he walks away with is, is totally and utterly irrelevant to what was required in the situation of the game. What what makes gets him out of bed in the morning to play cricket is what I need to do for my team today in this game of cricket. Um, so personal that, achievements on the back banner. Yeah. Yeah. So it's always bittersweet when you get, you know, I, I, I still the highlight of my life, getting 100 of Lords, but uh, you, then I dig a bit deeper and it's like, well, you should have got 130, 140, and you wouldn't have lost the game. <laughs> but so you, you get 100 at Lords. That means um, Lords, by the way, the I don't want to patronise anyone, but like the the home of cricket, right? Yeah, it's a spiritual ground. home of cricket. Yeah. yeah. So um, you get your name on an honours board there. Um, is there a ceremony or anything? What happens? Yeah, your name goes up on the board in the in the visitors' changing shed. They just put it up. Um, they put it up on tape. Because they can't get in and engrave it. I've actually never seen it engraved. I've never. Been oh, back. have you not? You're no. not commentated there. You, so you've never seen. No, it in no, life. I've never, never seen my name on the on the honours board actually engraved in there. Um, How would that be? I'd, I, I think I'd be quite emotional to tell you the truth because it was such a, it's such a big thing. Um, for yeah, cricketers. I suppose the older you get, the more emotional that moment yeah, will I, become. I think you value. Yeah. You, you value what what you did. I mean, you, your your career becomes a half hour's highlights package. Um. You know, you tend to remember the good stuff, um, but there's some bad stuff that you know irks me a little bit. What's the bad stuff? Oh, bad stuff was how I performed in Australia. Okay, so yeah, so this, um, yeah, this is when you decided to retire. 
Yeah, just after this. So you left the game on your own terms. Yeah. What? What? Yeah, what happened? I, I mean, it's, yeah, what, I, I can't remember it at all. I think after, was it real bad or was it just bad in your England, own head? After England, I'd reached a pinnacle for myself, and I'd had a great series, and then, but I. I was also, I didn't want to be me any longer. I didn't want to be that stuff. There was no fun in it. And I wanted to actually have a bit more fun and enjoy the art of batting a bit more and play a few more shots and be able to put a bit more pressure. I would have got more hundreds had I been more attacking because I wouldn't have had to face so many balls and I would have put more pressure on bowlers. And there was times in innings where I could have actually played aggressively, but I pulled myself back. And I really, it was, there was no fun in that. And then I went, I went to Bangladesh and thought, right, well, I'm going to smash Bangladesh. <laughs> and I didn't. <laughs> I nicked out a couple of times badly. And, uh, and then I went to Australia and I was like, you know what? All I can do is just defend against these guys and hang in there. Um, I didn't have the skills to take them on aggressively. And I just thought, you know what? I just don't want to be here. And Australia, in Australia, against that Australian bowling attack, is no place to be when you don't want to be there. And and I just got spit out. But it was even the series before that, no one. Um, I was at the top of my game. And I did. I scored some runs against Australia. I got good starts. I got a couple of 30s and a, and a 50. And I didn't let myself actually play the cricket against them that I should have. Mm. I should have got a, a, at least a big 100 on that tour in those conditions because I didn't believe I could do it against Australia. I'd pedestaled them because this was the – this was the – this was, you know um, – this is the proving grounds for New Zealand cricketers, Australia, because we grew up watching Australia from cricket. It's great viewing hours. Or people my age love the Channel 9 commentary team, you know, the legends of commentary. Yeah, yeah and the 12th Man yeah, tapes. And, and, and here CDs. we are. It's us doing it now. And and the same, sort of the same commentary team, Tony Gregg and and, and Bill Laurie and, and Richie Bonneau, and they commentated on me. And I I just didn't realize I actually belonged there and and could dominate. The, the greatest compliment I've ever been paid in, in the game of cricket was once I stopped playing cricket. And Ricky Ponting, who um, still frightens me to this day and intimidates me to this day, <laughs> we're at the New Zealand Golf Open. And someone came up to me and started talking, and it was about my cricket or something like that. And and Ricky was standing close by, putting on the green. And and I'd never really had much to do with Ricky. He still intimidated me. When I when I'd do the toss as a broadcaster, my hand would shake and the microphone would shake. He intimidated me that much. Wow. And um, and I didn't think he really thought much of me as as, as a cricketer because I had never done that well in Australia. And he said to this guy, he said, "Nah." He said, "He said this guy could really play. He just didn't let himself play." And that was possibly coming from Ricky Ponting, That was the greatest compliment ever mm. paid to me. And you know, I nearly, I nearly started crying on the bloody putting yeah. <laughs> at, at the hills. Do you do, do do you suffer imposter syndrome? Do you think? Maybe, yeah, maybe maybe a little, maybe yeah. a little, yeah, yeah. yeah. So d- does um that doesn't keep you awake at night anymore, does it? Australia does my performance in Australia. Actually, yeah, it's I, it, I still I still um. Still feel yeah, regrets I'm, about that. Uh, yeah, still a lot of. So regrets, how many yeah. years ago? I think I carry that to the to the time. I, oh, mm. it's twenty years ago now. But I'll still. But you're not thinking about it daily. Sometimes. That's too much. I Cameron. It, it really irks because I let myself down, and I shouldn't have. And and yeah. that yeah, in a professional sense, and that really pissed me off. Mm. Yeah, unreal. So uh, Shane Cameron on the podcast, and he talked about that. Um, that horrible beating he got from David Tua. And he said it was seven years, he reckons, before uh, he realized one day that he hadn't thought about it. 
So seven years just yeah. was on his mind. But you, you, you being bullied by Australia, how many years? Like 20 years ago. Oh, look, it ruins <laughs> my enjoyment of watching Australia play and, and watching the cricket from Australia because it's like you just let yourself sit down so so badly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, oh, yeah, one thing I forgot to to mention. So so at Lords, when you're out there getting 101, your wife Mary's there and she's um she meets Mick Jagger? Yeah, she's hobnobbing it with Mick Jagger. Whereabouts? Like in a corporate box or something? Yeah, I think he was in the same box as as the Wags. Um yeah, we got a photo of photo of Mick Jagger and, and, and my wife. It was quite a highlight for her. She was pissed off when I was retired because she just got used to the wag lifestyle. <laughs> and and like and I came home one day and just said, I've honey, I've retired. And it was like, you didn't run that past me. <laughs> she was just starting to enjoy it. <laughs> did did you have any um any recollections of the the Mick Jagger moment or was it just like a literally a photo opportunity? Classic, classic. Because he was with them all day. Yes, it's classic like he's tiny. <laughs> he's a funny little fellow. But he was really nice and personable and loves his cricket, eh? Yeah. Yeah. That was a, quite a highlight for her, I think. Mm. Yeah. Oh, another highlight. Um, your you had an opening partnership with Lou Vincent, which um remains to this day like one of the one of the best opening partnerships ever. Didn't you? Like Could t- be. I might I think two hundred and thirty two runs or something. Yeah, I think that would that was the one in which I cramped, the game in India and in Mahali. Right, right. Yeah, me and Louie put on a big total there. Louis yeah. was great, great to bat with. Yeah. I like I like batting with those sort of hyper sort of um, – because they, they bring a bit more out of me as well, mm. and I used to bat quite quite well with them. He was fun to watch as a fielder as yeah. well. It was yeah. really exciting. And also, when you, when, you, when you have a guy like that who's essentially nuts, <laughs> you know, personality-wise, fun. Um, was he nuts, enthusiastic. And, nuts in, what, in what way? Just like Just a – really enthusiastic. Energizer bunny. Yeah, energizer bunny. They're, they're good mid-pitch as well. Um. You know, I either like batting with guys who were very light in the middle, right? And, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to, you know, and, and, and got very technical and we coached each other through. Or I like batting with guys who just, you just you didn't know what they were going to say when you sort of came together at the end of the, end of the over. Mm. Yeah. So, you, you, yeah. So, um, have, did you reach, you reach out to him or Ken's when uh, you know, all the match fixing stuff goes down? Uh, uh, you still Louis, in touch with- Louis, I, I texted the other day, actually, I was really stoked for him that he's, he's oh, had his lifetime. Yeah, his lifetime ban. I, th- I think that was really unfair. He, he came clean. He's one of the very, very few who said, yeah, it was me. I fessed up. Sorry, been wrong. And they tried to make an example of someone that I don't think they needed to make an example out of. Gave him a lifetime ban. So I'm really pleased that they've, um, they've overturned that. Mm. Louis. Because he's a nice guy, and and he, I think he had a few issues, you know, mentally at that time, and I think he was taken advantage of. Um, Chris, I came to my wedding. I'd call him a mate. Um, drift, we drifted apart, and um, haven't really, really stayed in touch. I, mm. I mean, I, I I feel sad for what's happened to him, and boy, you know, he was a guy, big, strapping, large in the mm. life, superhuman. Um, it just shows how fragile mm. we all are, and. Once, once you wander down Sniper's Alley, you don't know what that yeah. is. <laughs> do, you, do you follow him on Instagram? Are you on Instagram at all? No, I'm not a social media type right. guy. I, he, I sort of, I've always thought social media is a cancer on society. So I'm tend oh, to stay is. away from it. it. Is. But he's, yeah. he shares a lot of his um, progression and he's making great yeah. progress. Oh, look, I wish him the best, he, you know, but I just, I just drifted, drifted apart, mm. really. I, I, it, oh, sorry. Right. It, um, I, th- I think there was, you know, to be perfectly honest, I can remember you rung me up one day after I was doing a show with Andrew Mulligan on Radio Sport, and it was a fun show. 
and it was around match fixing and I was we were running an amnesty and you had to ring us up and <laughs> tell us how you cheated in, in sport and, and and then I was like the judge and I was gonna hand down your 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 penalty or you know and what you had to do. And it was it was quite a fun little segment. Yeah, yeah. And he rang me up um afterwards I was driving home and he sort of sort of tried to he just tried to bully me into a bit of silence that he didn't need to do and I, mm. I tend to be the type of person that just goes, you know what? I'm wiping my hands, mm. you know. Yeah, I mean, on probability, he's probably guilty. But I mean, with what he's been through now, with the uh, you know, the disability and the rehab, it kind of puts into perspective. I and mean, and look, no one, whether he's guilty or not, yeah. and I've sort of stayed away from that. And I don't want to judge. No. I've never been privy to you know any of the any of the real genuine information, and he's always denied it vehemently. Mm. Um, he, no one wanted to win more when I was playing for New Zealand and I was in the same teams as him no one wanted to win more at that point in time than Chris Cairns mm. and if he was involved in anything it was in games that that wasn't internationals and and you know it was in games that I probably had little respect for anyway mm. um, and saying that you know you, you're still playing sport and, and corruption's corruption mm. and, you know so um, but the Chris Cairns I knew desperately wanted to win cricket games for New Zealand mm. To the point that, you know, at times he could get a little bit harsh on us who weren't performing. That's, is that right? That's interesting. I've been go- going to, um, I've been reading a book um, called Relentless by um, this guy who's a personal trainer and mental, mental skills coach of um, some of the best NBA players ever, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron. And he says the same sort of thing about them. Like um, like Jordan was just like an, an absolute cunt to some of his teammates. Yeah. Like there was a, some Australian dude at the Chicago Bulls and um, Scotty Pippen said to him, oh, you need, we need you to bring your A game today. And Jordan said, A game, just bring a game. <laughs> Can you imagine how awful that would be hearing think, that from MJ? You got, you got to, like, it's a tough environment, <laughs> professional sport. And you, you, you've got to, you will not succeed at the international level or at a high level of sport if you're not prepared to play, if you can't get the job done uncomfortable. Uh, and so you've got to accept the nerves and anxiety and the self doubt is there and you've got to find a way of overcoming it. And every now and then I think someone does need a bit of a hurry up. It's like, you're giving into yourself. You're a better player than this. You mm. need to, you need to, to, I know it's triggers people, but you need to harden the hell up. <laughs> this is not a fun environment. And every now and then you need someone to give you that, you know, don't, you know, look around. These guys need you to perform. Don't let them down through being weak. Yeah. And, and sometimes you need that. And, you know, Kenzie would dish that out. When did, was, did he ever give you a, a memorable spray? I, I can remember a couple of, of sprays for not, you know, mainly it was if I'd given, if I'd let myself down. You know, um, but surely at that point you already know you've let yourself down. Yeah, you beat yourself up. Probably not someone else to beat you. You know, I, I used to really take quite hard. I, I just always thought when you were playing for your country, there was no excuse for playing a bad shot because you are there's so many more eyes on you, and you are representing not only yourself but you're representing the the cricket fans and followers in your country. I'd love to be out there doing it. Mm. So you don't take the piss. You don't you don't take it lightly. You don't take it for granted. And I always felt there was no excuses for playing a weak shot. You were going to play them from time to time. But there was no it wasn't just your career. Mm. You 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 know, you're playing for New Zealand. Well, what's New Zealand? New Zealand's five million people. 
Mm. When you when you fucked up um, or you had a cheap wicket or got out on a, with a dumb shot, uh, how were you after that? I had Susie Bates on the podcast and she she said she said she'd go to the toilet and like have a subtle cry without the team knowing. And were you- the self loathing <laughs> and the anger and the frustration, um, oh, and, and and the, and the you know you'd walk off and I'd think it right. Well, that's it. That's the last shot you have played for New Zealand, isn't it? You know, or because you're, you're scared you're going to be dumped. Yeah. yeah, and then. Yeah, and then, uh, like, I can remember one in one game climbing underneath the got, – I got out early, climbed underneath the you – know, you know the classic seats that go around the outside of a changing shed? Mm-hmm. I literally just just took my – just wouldn't take anything off, climbed underneath the seats and stayed there for two sessions. <laughs> didn't move. Just, just just so pissed off with myself. Just didn't want to talk to anyone. Just didn't didn't want to exist in that moment. But then, Probably uh, a little unhealthy. Some guys could just like <laughs> some guys just take the pads off and bang them. And the players, you know, they get over in five minutes, and that and and that's not a criticism of them. It's just that's how they yeah, well, they needed to get over it if they were going to be able to go out and bat with confidence. Whereas me, I needed mm. to beat myself up for as long as it took mm. to to go out there and then apply myself again. But it seems it seems like you've always been like that. Like in the um the the bit of the the, the foreword at the beginning of your book that uh, Chris Kins wrote, like he talks about you as a bowler. Apparently, you sledged yourself harder than any of the people you were you were bowling to. <laughs> Probably did, yeah. <laughs> yeah just, is this I, just is this just your personality? Were you were you like this with the media career as well? Like if you, I would get really down if I had a bad show. Yeah, yeah. Probably not as much as cricket, and I was always told I mean, Martin Crow when I. When I started commentary, he said, please don't, please don't broadcast how you bat it. <laughs> His advice. I as in have, take some risks, take some, some fun, chances. Take some Martin Sneddon once said to me, um, my only advice to you, this is post-cricket, he said, take, take a risk, take some, take some risks. Um, so I was prepared to take risks in broadcasting and I, I tried to make sure I enjoyed my broadcasting. But if I had a bad show and stuff, stuff things up, I'd chew on that for days. Mm. Without, you know, without doubt. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think it's just your character type, right? It's who you are. Um, yeah. You dropped some great names then, Sneddon and Crow. There's there's another name I want to drop, Shane Warne. Um, oh, yeah. you're, one of the, you're one of the only people that I've heard, like, uh, talk about Shane Warne. In a way, and I, I really respect you for doing this. You haven't um, rewritten history. Like, it'd be easy after he dies to say, oh, yeah, me and Shane, we were this or we were that. But um, you guys famously just did not like we each other. We hate each other's yeah. guts. <laughs> and I wear that as a badge of honor. Because uh, I was I was living rent-free in his head. He lives rent-free in my head. And and, uh, and I think for a long time I was straight. Because he would still mention me. Like, years later, he'd be in interviews. And someone would text me and go, Hey, Warnie just said something about you on the X show for you. Like, like in, in what context? Like, after you retired? After, yeah, after we retired. I think he, we just did not like each other. Was was that because... Um, and I thought, well, for a start, I thought, why are you spending any time worrying about what you think about me? You know, I'm not even in your cricketing hemisphere, and yet he did not like me, and I did not like him. But when he passed away, I was quite sad because... You talk to so many people in the game who knew Warney, they loved him. He was a lovable rogue. And I think if you were in his good books, he would do anything for you. And he was a great man to be around. Mm. I never saw that. And I never, ever got an opportunity because our our, our paths did cross mm. post-cricket. Um, I never got an opportunity to see the Shane Warne that everyone loved. Mm. I just saw this bloke that that I resented mm. that crossed the line with me. 
who didn't like me and I didn't like him. So who who didn't like the other one? Did he not like you? So you're like, well, fuck you. I don't like you either. Or it feels like there was almost like an un, unspoken feud between you two. Yeah, it, I think I might have said something or looked the wrong way at some right. point. And is it because you caught him out on ninety nine? No, it was before that. Right. Okay, before that. Yeah. Yeah, and he and then and then he he crossed the line. I think I you know there's this. There's competitiveness and there's gamesmanship and there's sledging and then there's just, I think, crossing the line of human decency. And at times out on the field, I think he crossed that with me. Um, like, can you remember specifics? Oh, just just things, you know, just things and, and just going on and on and on and and um, like what, what things you don't want to share or oh yeah, it's just hard to come up with specifics. Yeah, but okay. just yeah. Um, to one point, I can remember him even Flem. I was batting with Flem. No, I was running the drinks out. I wasn't even playing. <laughs> I was running the drinks out, and Flem was batting. And Warnie just walked past and just started up. And to the point that Flem actually, who really got on brilliantly with Shane, they were, they were friends. I think Flem even said, "Mate, Shane, that's going a bit far." Um, yeah, I it just yeah, and you know, like just nasty. I was think, he nasty think, to but you? But we're all competitive people. Um, but we're all people as well. Mm. And, you know, just because you're, you're a certain level of cricket above someone else doesn't make you a better person than them. Mm. And I think we all have to be prepared to, to interact on a personal level. And you can't hide behind the fact that it was out there in the middle and then we all share a beer and have a laugh about it um, if you've gone too far. And mm. and with me, he, he, he went too far. And, and so... We didn't get on. Do you have to get on with everyone? No, no, no. no. Well, you don't like everyone. You can't but I'm sad that I never, I never got to know the Shane that everyone loved. Because mm, I, I had Ryan Fox on the podcast, and they were they were sort of friends. And he said Shane wasn't much of a drinker, hated drugs, but when he did get on the drink, it was like like Jaeger bombs. Or this <laughs> 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 is the uh, most Shane worn thing. I ever. think if Shane was going to do something. Does it properly? Doesn't yeah, Jaeger yeah. bombs or Red Bull vodka, something really awful like that. Yeah. He's so, he's in my top five cricketers ever. He yeah. he was a, just a genius. He really was. Well, he obviously had a respect for you. I, that must be where the I did all right against him, and I, I scored some runs against him in some warm-up games, uh, and some games in England when I was playing for different teams. And, and initially, I played him quite well. Um, but yeah, there was just a mm. there was just something there. You know? Well, because of that relationship, that must have been so satisfying catching him out on ninety-nine runs. Oh yeah. So he 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 died without a test with a, without a test. No, and I I like take this the right way. I love that, <laughs> and that's how cricket should be. Cricket should always beat you in some way, yeah, yeah, way shape, yeah. or form. So, um, the great, the greater, and and I think that um, Sir Don is the greatest sports person ever, because I don't think anyone has dominated their. So Don Bradman, to not mm-hmm. cricket followers, no one has has ever dominated their game or their sport to the same level that he dominated when he was playing. Mm. And so he averaged ninety nine over over career. The closest anyone's got to that is about sixty or something like that. It's a forty-run difference, mm-hmm. um, and you know, a, an amazing the the world's greats are in the fifties, fifty-five. Mm-hmm. He was ninety-nine over a decent career. I, I think, you know, uh, it's never going to be repeated. Schumacher, um, you know, Kelly Slater, um, Tiger, Tiger. They've never dominated their sport to the degree that that mm-hmm. he did, um, and he he needed four runs to average a hundred. And he got a duck, 
Everest 99. <laughs> Couldn't average 100 in his final innings. Shane Warne, really good batter, genius of the game of cricket, um, deserved 100, never got 100. So in some way, shape or form, the game beats you. You don't you don't clock the game. And so I sort of quite like that. But the fact that it had to be you, like his nemesis yeah. in a way, to catch him out on 99. I, I remember it too because I, I just felt <laughs> he's going to whack one out here. He's going to whack one out here. And he did. Uh, and the, well, I just remember thinking when the ball went up, I, I think the first thing that came to my mind was like, was, oh, you absolute arsehole, because I've got to catch this now. <laughs> and it was like, it's, you could just, this, this, this ball, as it's coming towards you, it should be getting bigger. It was getting smaller, I reckon. Just, it was just the pressure of the moment. Mm. Everyone knew how significant that moment was. And yeah, yeah, managed to catch it. And then you bowed at the crowd. That yeah, was, that was taking the. Was that a spontaneous thing? You, was, do, you yeah. do that. And you, you're happy about that, or you regret it? Well, I was standing. Or? I was. I was standing in front of the rowdy part of the the whacker, and and you know you you're taking so much crap. <laughs> yeah, so I just yeah. felt the most appropriate thing to do was take a bow. Oh, it's lucky you weren't assassinated that day. But the media afterwards actually asked me, "Oh, oh did you consider maybe dropping it? Because you know Shane deserves to get a test hundred. And they was they were actually genuine mm. with their questions. I thought, for God's sake, you guys, <laughs> absolutely yeah. not. Yeah, <laughs> sport. Yeah, but he's stoked. Of course, I didn't want to drop it. Let, yeah. let him get a hundred. Okay, so um, so then you make the transition from um cricket to uh, to media. So you you retire on your own terms. It seems like it was a well played strategic move. Um, in your own words, you thought if if you end up getting dropped, then you'll just be another dropped cricketer, and you have no worth in the media. So you sort of leave on your own terms, and then you get into media. Um. In terms of like transferable skills, like from pro- professional sport, like cricket into media, was there any? What what did you I take think performance, from one? I think the fact when you know when you walk into that arena, um, you you perform. It's a performance game, mm. without a doubt. Broadcasting, um, it's a magnification of yourself. It's it's the red light goes on, the umpire says play, and you got to perform. And it's nervous. There's you, know, you 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 get nervous, and you've got to overcome those that the anxiety. And I think the other thing is, you know, you're always trying to get better and improve, and you are like that with sports. So without a doubt, there is some um, there's some similar similarities. Mm. And you're right. I got out of the game slightly earlier than I should have, basically because you know sell high. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, some Forsyth, Forsyth bar chat there. Yeah, yeah my, my stocks were my stocks were up there, and I needed to sell. I needed to cash them in. You know. Yeah. Now, one of the um, yeah, one of the most successful things you've done, I think, is the block, uh, like a reality show that's just yeah. gone chugged on like a juggernaut year after year. You, you were there since day one, eh? Like Ben and Libby. Yeah. Day one, it's it's yeah. a, it's an incredible incredible innings to use a cricket term. So Julie Christie cast you for that. Yeah. And you came on her radar. After that sketch you did with Stephen Fleming, is that uh, how- no, I think she was a Krago's Wild right. fan. It was the sketch with Stephen Fleming that got me the Krago's Wild gig, right? And then yes, she, so, yeah. so, 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 um, yeah. What was that? Let's focus on that for a little bit. So it's um, it was it was like a stitch up, yes. But no one realised it was a stitch up at the time. The right. acting's phenomenal, like Stephen Fleming. Well, I don't think it is acting. That's the thing, because we've no, all seen him do his fujitsu ads. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I think there was an element of truth in it. Anyway. Okay, thanks. Good luck. Thanks, man. Hey, you're an idiot. That's ridiculous. Seriously, that's ridiculous. Two things. You forgot to be your mates are. Some of your comments. Change your room. The other thing is, just an idiot. Talking about scoring rates and picking up the, uh, the tempo of games. You're one of the most boring players to watch. So, from what I've seen so far in your commentary, it's crap. 
Remember your mates up, mate? It's about six months ago you were with us. Yeah, but he plays his part perfectly, like sprays yeah. at you and then walks away and then you, you look like embarrassed. Yeah. Um, like there's not a hint of a grin or a, a, you know, a twinkle in your eye, like we've got some gold here. So how did that come about? That's what I was thinking. I was thinking this is. It was. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was I was doing the cricket show, so I was doing the commentary, and I was doing the and, and I was doing the the magazine style show, and we thought let's do a behind the scenes um, story on, on commentary day and day and commentary, and it was like, and I was always looking for some a different angle and do something entertaining. So I thought, how about we do a story whereby I'm the new boy in commentary, which I was, and I just everyone just gives me crap and it's really hard, and 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 then we thought, well, what? And then I was thinking, what about if? And then I go to interview the captain, and he just lets me have it and you know tells me I'm rubbish at it and this is this is my life and commentary now was the story so we 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 were there was the our camera op knew what was going on and our producer knew and and Flynn knew because I'd said hey why don't you just you know tell me you just tee off on me and and the interview was real because it was raining and it was an opportunity to do it and we and Flynn said he'd come out and do an interview um, for the actual broadcast. So we we did this interview in the can and then he was meant to stop and then sort of we'd almost reap and then he'd let me have it and we'd pick it up on our end camera. Um, but he just, thanks, and then he just charged into it. And of course, then all the cameras just like that and it's all the broadcast cameras and our end camera for the show. Flem does it. You should there, And then all of a sudden when it finishes, we start laughing. You should have seen the immediate liaison officer was just white. Oh my <laughs> just, God. <yeah>. I can <laughs> imagine. Hey, oh, this, is a night, this, this is a big fire to put out. He'd done this so well and then I've gone bouncing into our commentary area where we, where we wait and like the TV was off and they were all sitting there acting all this like, like, um, you know, they hadn't seen it. But apparently they'd seen it and they switched it off because they thought it was for real as well. Like Kenzie and Smithy and all these other commentators. And I've come bouncing and going, did you see that? That's fucking awesome. Gold. That was, and they <laughs> then tweaked that it was, you know, it was it was a stitch up. Then later on, Flem heard that he was, was really good. So he wanted to see. And by this stage, though, our satellite links were up. And the the producer at the time ran it through the truck and of course, it ran through the truck, and now it's picked up. Well, while he watched it, now it's been picked up all around the world. So it's, and it was someone on Willow TV in the West Indies is sitting there, obviously maybe having to do a news story on the West Indies New Zealand cricket game, and thought, "God, look at this! I've got cold." And then it just went around the world. That was amazing. If, if, if yeah. TikTok was around at the time, that would have been blown up that, even that, bigger. And it was massive. Way that launched my media career. Yeah, something silly like that. Incredible. Because Rick Salizzo, who was putting together the crowd goes wild, looked at that when that is just perfect for crowd goes wild. That's that's the image I've got on my mind for the show that I'm going to do. And so said, do you want to mm. be involved? And then Julie was a crowd goes wild fan, I think, and she thought nice to have someone you know mm. like that. Maybe maybe do the block. So mm. she got me the gig doing the block. That's the strange thing about you, eh? So you, there's this um, incredibly playful side, guy that doesn't mind taking the piss out of himself, will do anything for a laugh, like um, at your own expense or someone else's. But then just the seriously deep thinking, self-loathing, <laughs> you know, the the intense yeah. thinker. <laughs> I think what I, a crazy juxtaposition. I plan things out. I'm a planner. So I just like to see a blueprint of where I'm heading. Yeah. Um, but I also knew that one of... One of my skills is is that is that self deprecating sort of humour mm. that I have, and it, and it resonates with New Zealanders. I guess that's just what I've tried to do. Yeah. So when I I take my broadcast, I did take my broadcasting deadly serious, but I took being a bit of a clown deadly serious. Mm. 
you know, yeah. not not a, not a comedian. I've never say that I was a comedian, but I I knew that my point of difference was just to be someone that people could have a laugh. Mm-hmm. They could laugh with me laughing at myself. Yeah. I think there's something really powerful in that as well, because not everyone has the ability to do that. Well, some people, I think, you know, I think you do have to have a degree in mental strength to be able to let others laugh at you. Mm. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. And if you're prepared to be laughed at, you need to be fairly um, resilient. Yeah. And I think assured in your own mm. shoes. Yeah. Jeez. Um, I've kept you so long. We've probably got time for one more story, though. We've got time for one more story. Yeah. Let's talk about the uh, Jacinda Ardern stuff. Yeah. This is probably the big – you reflect on that now. So this was on the AM show. Yeah, um, early years. Yeah, Jacinda so, Ardern yeah. as Prime Minister was there. What was it, something about she, – She was leader of the opposition at that point. Okay. She'd just become the leader of yeah, the opposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so what was the comment? Something about um, whether she planned to get pregnant or not. It's not – it's not a – like it got strewed very, very quickly. It, I, the night before she was on the project and I was on the project and Jesse Mulligan had been umming and ahhing about, do I ask the question about becoming the leader of opposition? You're going to get a lot busier. You've mentioned in the media before that you want to have a family. And so he was umming and to ask the question. So very apologetically asked this question about, so what does this mean for your plans to have a family now? And she answered it. And then, all, and then, of course, it just goes, media grabs it and they want to just, you know, they run with it. And was that a fair question? And, um, and the culture that existed, you know, at that time it still does probably. Um, and so the question was, was it a fair question? And she was sitting on the couch and, and I was saying on the AIM show before she came on that I said, yeah, it's a fair question. I, I just think that, um, you know, your, your, your staff are your biggest asset. Uh, and if you know this information, you can plan for the future, and it's a win-win. So I wasn't saying you use that against anyone. Mm. She she then came on, and and then she wanted to take me to task for it, and she and she did, and I fought my case. And when the um, and it wasn't about her; it was about whether the question was legit for an employer to be able to ask it. And my rationale was always: it is for the sake of information sharing and planning in advance, mm. not for getting rid of people. Maybe quite naive to think that way. Um, she said it was wasn't appropriate. It was fair enough to ask her, but not anyone else. And that's her that's her point point of view. And many would agree with that. I fought my case. Cameras stopped rolling. She got up and said, "Great debate. See you next week." And then the, and then the media just ran with it, and it got more misconstrued. I got sold down the road, I believe, by my own network, and mm. I'm sort of. It was a great moment for me, though. That was the thing. And what do you mean it was a great moment? Well, it it must have been a. It must have felt like you were walking through. I was, I was villain number one, but I was quite yeah. happy. And and the other thing was what the media didn't never reported was there was actually a lot of support for me as well, but that wasn't part of the narrative. No, no. Well, it didn't suit the. Yeah, you know, you've got a young female leader and a pale male style. Yeah, and and my argument and defence of myself has never ever seen the light of day. You had to be watching it live. Um, and, um, and, and people, and that, and that's never really, it's never been shown, mm. and, but it was, a, it was, it put me on, the, it, it, it moved me into another sphere when it came to broadcasting and quite frankly, it was good for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, I mean, it's like Paul Henry, there's, there's those memorable moments yeah. in broadcasting like Paul Henry with, um, the Sheila Dickshit thing. But when you're going through that. Can't be like what was what was, that was week more, or that month like? My kids, you know. Yeah. How I was, old that I, was time, Ar- like? I was arch enemy number one, and and my kids were finding out that apparently everyone hated their dad. Mm. Well, not everyone hated their dad. 
No. Um, but when they're kids and they were young kids, that was that was when I started to get pretty annoyed with the whole thing. Um, but I realized I was playing with the big boys now and I wanted to make it in that form of media and, and you know, I believed in what I'd said. The other thing is you, could, you don't have to be right all the time. Mm. You're, it's okay to be wrong. And if if, the, if if my argument went to the court of law and I lost, I accept that. Mm. The other thing was all of a sudden people, oh, Mark Richardson's put us back 40 years. No, I haven't. <laughs> the law, I don't set the law. No one's going to change the law because yeah, what yeah, I say. Yeah. But hopefully people will watch the AM show for what I say. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's funny. People are funny. Like it's just, it was just a question and it's just an opinion yeah. or it's just an, a thought. And then you have people that... um. Because you may say one thing that they don't like, they'll be like, well, I, I have to disagree and loathe everything about that person. And now. not only that, is that now you, you're not allowed to have an opinion any longer. It's like, why would you, why would you, why would you bother? I, I'd say like with the Jacinda Ardern thing, there'd be a lot of people that probably shared your thoughts, but would just be like, it's not my battle, not my circus, not my monkeys. Well, I think right now in broadcasting, I think it's sad. I think we have become vanilla mm. um, for the sake of survival. And I reckon that's, um, that's really sad. I'm very excited about um, Ryan Bridge actually moving at 7, 7 p.m. I mm. think he will provide, um, he'll provide uh a slightly different, mm. you know, narrative. Oh, Ryan Bridge, yeah, you outed him on TV. Yeah, that was, <laughs> accidentally. Well, I maintain it's done great things. <laughs> you know? I, I was really, I was mortified and shocked with myself because I'd let a mate down. He and I, I, I really respect the reasons why he wanted to remain in the closet. Yeah, in a broadcasting sense, because he didn't want to have to become some sort of spokesperson mm. um, and a representative of the rainbow community. He just wanted to be the fellow who's a damn good political interviewer, mm. not labelled with the gay guy who's a political interviewer. Mm. And it's exactly what happened the minute he came out. But then I think people have moved past that and they realise just how good he is. Yeah. Yeah, he's great, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And you, um, yeah. So who are you, who are you friends with? You're friends with Duncan Garner, eh? Yeah, like, I've heard you call him an actual yeah, mate. Yeah, we've drifted away a little bit because of life's moved on, but I like Duncan. Mm. I, you know, I, I think he's a genuine, I think he's he genuinely likes and cares about people. And and I think that shows in his broadcasting. He's passionate about broadcasting, mm. but he genuinely does actually like like people, yeah, and wants to help. Yeah, yeah. Hey, this has been great. I um, man, we have to reschedule and get you back another time because um, oh, yeah. I feel like we're just scratching the surface of the Mark Richardson story. Yeah. You're such an intriguing guy. Well, when, when you obviously make a fortune in the, in the podcast world and. And, um, and invest and maybe, it with yeah, the, maybe license it and sell the license to make a fortune. Make sure you come and knock on my door uh, as well. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> and, and but do you want to get a plug in? You want to get a plug in for your services? Oh no, no. It's just it's just nice <laughs> to get it out there because I do have to you know rebrand a little bit and get it out there that I'm now an investment advisor with Foresight Bar, taking it deadly serious and um, you know and and yeah you know still always got to be me and and will always have the background as a sports person or broadcaster. But you know I am I'm a, a financial advisor now. Mm. And I, I reckon you're going to do, and I've said this a couple of times, and it's not just pissing in your pocket, but I think you're going to do bloody well at it. I think there's people that have like a fixed mindset or a growth mindset, and most most athletes uh, have like a growth mindset. And I mean, yeah, you you excelled at your sport, you excelled at media, and um, you're going to excel at this. Well, the great thing about if you do well at this now, with the way the compliance and regulations are, if you're doing well at this job, at my job, um, investment advising, then the people you're advising for are doing well. So it's a win-win. Mm. 
I, I think in the old days, maybe, you know, in an unregulated cowboy world, you could make a lot of money in brokerage and perhaps, you know, you didn't care about the result for the person who you were selling securities to. But now that is not, it's not how it works. It's not how it'll ever work again. Mm. So if you're doing well at, at this gig, then everyone's doing well, um, which is, it's a great model. Don't understand a word of what you just said, <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate your time. You, you're um, you're a great New Zealander, and um, I can't thank you enough for coming over and being on the podcast. Oh, go on, it was fun. It's it's great. I'm honoured to be able to come and talk on it. Mark Richardson on the Dom Harvey podcast. What do you think? Any feedback? suggestions, constructive criticism, anything like that. I've um, genuinely got no no idea really what I'm doing. I'm just having interesting conversations with people that I'm fascinated by. Um, but ultimately, it's a, a podcast and a show for you guys. So if you have any feedback, constructive criticism, whatever, love to hear from you. Message me anytime. I'm on Instagram, domharveynz, or email me, domharveynz at gmail.com. Quick shout out to my sponsors before we sign off. And a very quick request to you guys as well. Please, if you like the content, please do consider supporting these brands. Their involvement in the podcast has made it possible to expand, buy new gear, grow my team, and ultimately get better guests. I really want this thing to be as big as possible. You know, like a career rather than a hobby. And that dream is becoming a reality thanks to legends like Generate and Radix. A couple of epic Kiwi-owned and operated companies. Generate is a KiwiSaver scheme. Radix is a nutrition company. Both of them killing it in their respective fields. Um, I've got all the links and additional information in the description to this episode, so please, when you've got a minute, uh, look that up and do consider supporting them. Radix products can help you live longer and healthier. That means you'll need more money when you retire. (laughs) And Generate can probably help you with that. They have a long record of chart-topping performance. If you want to make sure you're making the most of your KiwiSaver account, chat to an advisor now. Again, the link is in the description. A copy of their product disclosure statement can be found there too. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited. And of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Hey, thanks again, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart. Really appreciate you guys being along and listening to the entire podcast. And I hope to see you next week on the Dom Harvey Podcast. See ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.